We are continuing our sermon series called The Generous Life. The Generous Life. Father, we come to you and thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather in your name today. Uh, Thank you for the wonderful presence that we sense here today. And thank you that you are at work among your people. That you're working even when we don't sense it. That that even when we get discouraged and feel like you're not there and you don't hear us and you're still working. As I walk, you're going to work. And so I thank you today that you are working in our hearts and our lives and even in this church. Lord, help me to preach your word with power and fervency and unction today. Have our hearts to be open. And everyone said a great big amen. How many would agree with me that being a generous person exemplifies the nature of God? Would you agree with that? Being a generous person exemplifies the nature of God because God is generous. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible also says in James chapter 1 and verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. God is a generous God. His very nature is to be generous. The Bible says in Psalm 84 and verse 11, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly before him. He is a generous God. And so let me ask you a question this morning. How can we not be generous when we serve a God that gives? If we serve a God that is generous, How can we not be generous ourselves? How can we not have a giving heart and a generous spirit? I am glad that God is generous because I've learned one thing that God in His generosity has given me what I did not earn. He has given me what I did not achieve. He has given me what I did not merit. And He has given me what I could not buy. He is a generous God. God's grace, you ever thought about God's grace? God's grace is His favor poured out upon the undeserving. That is generosity. God's grace poured out upon those who don't deserve it. Ladies and gentlemen, every one of us this morning, we have received the grace of God. You can't buy salvation. You can't buy uh, His blessing. You are just pardoned from your sin because you believe in His name and you have confessed Him as Lord over your life and you have put your faith in Him and because of that, He has been generous with His love and He has been generous with His grace and His mercy. Can somebody wave your hand and say, thank God that He is generous. He is generous. And you know, as Christians, as Christians, I believe that we should be generous. How many would agree with Pastor Josh that as a Christian, we should be generous? We should be generous with our time. We should be generous with our talent. We should be generous with our resources. And yes, I think that we should be generous with our money. Now, sometimes I believe that we're incapable of being generous. Some Christians want to be generous, but they're incapable or don't have the means to be generous. And you know why? Because I don't think that sometimes we understand stewardship. We don't understand how to manage our time and our resources and our money. And if we don't understand stewardship and we don't get that correct, then ladies and gentlemen, it's going to hinder you from being generous. You're always going to be strapped for money. You're always going to be strapped for things because you're not managing your resources correctly. And one of the biggest things that we fail to manage in our life is really money. We really fail to manage our money correctly. Money has become a bad word in the church. Really, it has. I mean, people have a bad taste in their mouth about money. They don't want to talk about money, and they certainly don't want the preacher to talk about money. And I'll be the first to admit, it's, it's uncomfortable for me to preach about money. I would probably like to do something else or preach about something else to make you excited and to make you shout and clap your hands. I don't want to do this, but I know that as a pastor that my responsibility is not to shun the whole counsel of God to you. 
that there is lots of things in the Bible that we can deal with so we can grow as Christians. And one of the things that I believe that we can grow as a Christian is learning how to manage our time, our money, our resources, and our talents successfully. You are a steward of the resources that God has given you. How many would agree with that? How many would agree with that? And sometimes when we deal with money, it puts a bad taste in people's mouth and people don't want to deal with it. And yes, it's hard for me to deal with it. But as a pastor, I want you to grow. And I think that you know my heart this morning. I'm not out trying to make myself rich. And I don't think there's a lot of preachers like that. There is a few. And some of those preachers have given the church a bad name. Can I hear an amen? But not all preachers are like that. And certainly not all churches are like that at all. But I want you to understand my heart that as a Christian, I want you to grow in this area of your life. You should be growing as a Christian in every area. And certainly you should be growing with your money. You should be growing about how to manage your money effectively. And there's been some people that seen bad mismanagement in the church. And of course, that leaves a bad taste in their mouth. Some preachers, of course, you see on TV are begging for money and And that leaves a bad taste in our mouth. And of course, there are some people that are just financially strapped and they're just overwhelmed with financial hardship. And I think that we've all been there before at one time and another in our life. And many times we can't afford to be generous with the resources that God has given us is because we're overwhelmed with financial hardship. We're not managing our money successfully or effectively. We don't know how to be a good steward of it, so we can't be generous. We want to be generous, but we can't be generous. Uh, and sometimes we got the wrong perception. Sometimes we're not generous because uh, of the perception. We think that the church, all they want is my money, and they're after my money, and so we just refuse to give. And, and so I want you to look at this through the eyes of the Bible. I want you to see what God says about money. Now, isn't it interesting to me that America knows how to put a man on the moon? America knows how to build iPhones and computers. America knows how to do a brain surgery. And yet, at the same time, we have a hard time with managing our money. More people are in debt and in credit card debt than ever before in our known history. America, don't take a back seat to anybody. I mean, we, we love technology, but at the same time, we don't know how to manage our money. You see, we are, we're, we're, we're smarter, but we're not wiser. We know a whole lot more than we used to, but we're going less. We're, going, we're not as, going as far as we used to. We, we, we quote the Bible, believe the Bible, but yet we're still defeated. We say we're healed, but we're still sick. I mean, it, it, there's, there's, a con, there's, there's a tug of war here. We, we, we say that we know a lot about money, but yet our lives are really not demonstrating that. We're not really knowing how to manage it effectively. And I believe that we need to know what the Bible says about money, because if you know what the Bible says about money, then I believe that that will put things in perspective and help you to know how to manage it so that you can be that generous person. There was a woman by the name of Leona uh, Helmsley. She was a billionaire. And um, in recent history, I mean, she had bukus of money. Uh, she was over a billionaire. And she died and left uh, two of her grandchildren out of her will. But she left $12 million to her little dog called Trouble. $12 million dollars. Now, I don't know about you, but can you imagine what we could do with $12 million? How many babies we could feed? How many people we could bless? And yet, Leona Helmsley, a billionaire, got mad at her two grandchildren and wiped them out of her will and decided to leave $12 million in a trust fund to her little dog. We live in a, we live in a generation where people really just throw money away. They don't know how to handle the money and the resources that God wants to give them. Now, I know that's ridiculous, and you think, well, I would never do that. But ladies and gentlemen, we do that with a few dollars. We do that with a couple hundred dollars. We do it on a different scale. We, we, may, not, we, we may laugh at Leona uh, Helms this, uh, Helmsley this morning, but we actually do it ourselves in our own life. We do it with a little money. Money is a big problem in our life. It's, it's, we can't get away from money. I mean, we deal with it constantly. You pay bills, you write checks, or you do a mobile picture of your check. <laughs> you have direct deposit, 
you, you receive checks, you make deposits, you pay taxes, you do online banking, you deal with money every day of your life. And since we deal with it every day, don't you think that we should know how to manage it? Do you know that 50% of all marriages in America break up because of money problems? Not because of communication problems, but because of money problems. 57%, not 50, but 57% of marriages break up because of marriage, because of money problems. Friendships will break up because of money. You owe me $50 and you never gave it back and so we just cut communication off. You've seen that before. I mean, parents will neglect their children because they're getting another job because they got to go after another dollar. Businesses will go bankrupt because they didn't make enough money or didn't know how to do business or handle money uh, not effectively. One out of four Americans say they have no spare cash. One out of four Americans will say they don't have no spare cash and if they lost their job tomorrow, they wouldn't know what to do. America's number one fear, America's number one fear, even above a terrorist attack, is running out of money during retirement. Isn't that amazing? That's our number one fear. We're not fearful that Russia is going to bomb us or ISIS is going to overtake us. We're fearful of running out of money during retirement. America's amount of credit card debt in a household with more than one card is now $9,312, an increase of 116% over the past 10 years. So the average household that has two credit cards has at least over $9,000 in credit card debt. The average savings rate is less than 2% of a personal income. Even the average home don't even have a savings account because they have no spare cash. And this is what people will say. People will say, well, pastor, I could take care of all these problems if I had more money. But ladies and gentlemen, that is a myth. Money problems are not caused by because you don't have enough money. You have enough money. The problem is, is we're not. Now, there may be cases we don't have enough, and that, that could be the case. But the majority of the problem is, is we don't know how to manage our money. Most of our problems with money is because we don't manage it. We don't have a budget. We don't know what's going out. We don't know what's coming in. We're just, it's a guessing game. And so therefore, we live paycheck to paycheck, and we want to be generous. We go to church and we want to give, but at the same time, we're so strapped. But ladies and gentlemen, let me make sure you understand something, that how you deal with your money really does reveal the type of person you are. How you deal with your money reveals the type of person you are. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Wherever you're putting your money at, wherever you put your money at, that's where your heart is. You can open up your checkbook and you can tell where your heart is. Where your treasure is, Jesus said, there will be your heart also. The problem really is, church, not about purses and pocketbooks. The problem is not purses and pocketbooks. The problem is a heart, your heart. Generosity and stewardship is a matter of the heart. I can get up here and preach about it. I can tell you scriptural references to biblical stewardship and how to handle your money. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't get a hold of your heart and you see the necessity of handling it correctly, then it will not change. I'm just preaching a sermon to dead ears. It's a matter of the heart. I believe the Holy Spirit has to tug at your heart. Move your heart to generosity. Do you know, listen to this preacher this morning, do you know that Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven and hell? It's interesting to me. He talks more about money and possessions than he does heaven and hell. There are 500 scriptures in the New Testament that deal with prayer, and yet there are 2,500 scriptures that deal with money and possessions. Did you see that? Over 500 scriptures that deal with prayer, but yet there are 2,500 scriptures that deal with money and possessions. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it's a big deal. Jesus is saying, listen, you need to listen because money can rob you. Money can hinder you if you don't handle it correctly. You know, even in the Gospels, one out of ten verses deals with handling money or your possessions or material wealth. You see, you say, well, Jesus must have been really worried about 
You know, Jesus was just obsessed with money. He's just like all those other preachers. He's just obsessed with money. Listen, folks, Jesus wasn't obsessed with money. He was afraid that you was going to be obsessed with money. Jesus knew that money can damn your soul. He knew that money could be a God in your life. He knew that it would be very easy for you to fall in a trap of working a job and going after money and going after the paycheck and you don't rely and trust on God. He knew that. That's why Jesus said it's very hard for a rich man to enter heaven. It's easier than to take, the eye, to take a camel through the eye of a needle. Why is it? Because Jesus understood that the more money you have, you have a greater tendency to rely upon him, rely upon your money instead of relying upon God. You rely upon your money to bring you out. You rely upon your money to bring you happiness. You rely upon your money to do this and to do that. And the more money we have, the greater the tendency it is for us not to rely upon God and not to rely upon his sovereignty and not to rely upon his provision. And Jesus said, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful that you don't let money get a hold of you. The Bible says in Luke 16, Jesus tells a parable, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the parable, but Jesus just says a few things in this parable. He talks about the parable of the unjust steward. There's a parable that Jesus explains about how a, 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 a manager or a, a manager left somebody in charge of his house, and he went away, but this manager didn't take care of the resources. And Jesus explains the condemnation of this this unjust man who did not take care of the resources that the manager gave him to take care of. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16 and verse 1, Luke 16 verse 1, look at what Jesus says here, Luke 16 verse 1, and this is interesting to me, I just want to look at this phrase here, and then he said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and there was an accusation that was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So this parable is about this rich man, this, this rich man who left his house and his goods to somebody who, who can take care of it. And the report came back to the manager or to the rich man that somebody is wasting all of his goods. It's kind of like you going away on vacation and you let somebody dog sit and take care of your house and you come back and you find out they wasted everything in your house. And so the report came back to the rich man that while you were gone, this, this, this manager, this steward who should be taking care of your stuff, he wasted your stuff. And the first principle I want you to see in this story is this, is that you are a steward and you don't own anything. You, you are just a steward. You are a manager. You don't own anything. Because if you see in this story, the rich man represents God. God is the rich man. You are the steward. You are to take care of his resources. And the Bible says in verse number one, what was the accusation? Luke 16, verse one, the accusation was that the man was wasting his goods. Whose goods? The rich man. The rich man gave his resources over to a steward or over to a manager to take care of his goods, but the accusation was... This man was wasting his goods. And you've got to understand something, church. You don't own anything. You don't own that paycheck. You don't own the job. You don't own your child. You don't own your spouse. You own nothing. It's just a gift. It is just a gift. And it amazes me people get so possessive over things. You've got to understand that as you grow in Christ, you've got to challenge your attachments. You can't get too attached to everything because you, you don't own it. You are a steward. You are a manager. Everything belongs to God. And you are an owner of nothing. You, Jesus or God, is the rich man. You are the manager. And the rich man will come back one day. And I hope that the accusation is, is that you've wasted your whole life. You've wasted your money. You've wasted your time. You've wasted your talent. You've wasted your resources. You've wasted it. You're a manager of it. You don't own it. You are a billboard for God's glory. And at the end of your life, you're going to have to give an account to God about the things that you do with your life. People say, well, I'm not going to give money to the church. Well, you see, that's your mindset's wrong. It's not your money. It was never your money. 
It will never be your money. Giving is actually returning back to what belongs to God. It's not your money. He owns it all, ladies and gentlemen. He owns it all. He owns all the diamond mines of South Africa. He owns all the wheat fields of Kansas. He owns the corn fields of Nebraska. He owns the orange groves of Florida. He owns all the oil in Kuwait. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. He owns it all. Let us not set up and, 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 and be prideful and think that we own it. The Bible says in Romans eleven thirty six. The apostle said very clear, for of him and through him and to him all things to whom be all glory forever and ever. It all goes to him. It was made for him. It was made by him. And it's going to go back to him. You are just a manager. You're a steward. He's the rich man. And you are to make sure you don't waste the goods. The Bible says, David said in Psalm 24, verse 11, the earth is the Lord's and all of the fullness and the world and they that dwell therein. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, the apostle said, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. You're going to give an account to God. What are you going to give an account to? You're going to give an account to everything you've wasted. All the resources that you've wasted, you'll give an account for it. What are you saying, preacher? I am saying that Jesus told this parable. And behind this parable is a spiritual meaning. The rich man gave his resources to a manager, a steward, to take care of. But the accusation came back to the rich man that he wasted it all. Don't waste it, folks. Use it for God's glory. Now, Jesus goes on to tell the story at the end of the story, or towards the middle of the story, excuse me, in Luke 16, verse 9, let's listen to this. In the middle of this parable, Jesus says this profound statement. Luke 16, verse 9, look at it. Luke 16, verse 9, and I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. Now the word mammon means wealth or money. It's an old English word. Then when you fell, they may receive you into everlasting, into the everlasting home. Now look at that. He says, I want you to make friends for yourself by your unrighteous money that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. You know what Jesus is saying? Number two, Jesus is saying, not only are you a steward of the resources I've given you, not only are you a manager of it, you don't need to waste it, but number two, Jesus is saying, you need to make sure that use your money and make sure you have an eye towards eternity. Now, that's interesting. Use your money now with an eye towards eternity. In other words, Jesus is saying, you can use your money right now and your money can meet you in the next world. Did you just hear what Pastor Josh said? Your money can meet you in the next world? Well, according to what Jesus said, Jesus said that if you use your unrighteous money and you make friends... He said he could meet in the everlasting home. In other words, Jesus said, you can meet your money in the world to come. Now, you can't buy salvation. You can't buy miracles. You can't buy the blessing of God. Jesus is saying you can use your money and invest it, and it can have a return to you. You can invest your resources now, and it can have a return in the next life. Boy, that's exciting, church. I can invest my money now and my money can have a return in the next world? Yes. Jesus said, take your unrighteous money, take it, and it can meet you in the everlasting home. The question is, is how do you do that? How do you do that? It's interesting to me that many people will have from their checks, they'll have a pension uh, taken from their check, a retirement taken from their check, and there's nothing wrong with that. You should do that. But what I don't understand is Christians who say they love Jesus, they don't set anything aside to the kingdom of God. The reason that the government takes taxes out of your paycheck before you get it is because they don't trust you that you will pay them. So they take it. It's interesting. We give to the government what goes to the government. 
We set aside pensions plans and retirement plans, but yet we don't have a giving plan. You don't have a, a giving plan? You mean you have a retirement plan, but you don't have a giving plan? You got a savings plan, but you don't have a giving plan? Are you investing in the kingdom of God? Jesus said that your money can meet you in the next world. Your retirement's going to run out, folks. Your money is going to run out. Can you use your money and invest it into the world to come? Of course you can. You, of course you can. You can't take your money with you. You can't take your house with you. You can't take your car with you. You can't take your stocks with you. You can't take your bonds with you. You can't take that with you. But you can take somebody with you to the next world. I said, you can't take somebody with you to the next world. What are you saying, preacher? Jesus said that your money can meet you in the next world. How does that happen? When you take your resources and you invest it into somebody, that somebody will live on for eternity and they can meet you in the next world. The value of an investment is determined by two things. The value of of an investment. What you invest in is determined by two things. Everybody shout, it's determined by two things. Shout it out, it's determined by two things. Number one, it's determined by its security. And number two, it's, it's determined by its rate of return. So the value of any investment is determined primarily by two things. It's security and by the rate of return. With that being said, what's the best way that you can invest your money? Does it have security? And will it have a rate of return? And the only thing I can think of that has that is people. People. Because they will last for eternity. The rate of return is out of this world. They are going to live on forever. They're secure. They're going to live on forever. It's true. Investing in the lives of people will meet you in the next world. You can use your money, Jesus said, and your money can meet you in the next world. How is that so? You can invest your resources into, in organizations and in churches who are reaching people, and those people can meet you in the next world. When you give to the church, you're not giving to the church. In reality, you're giving to the church, but spiritually you are giving it to God. He said, well, I don't understand that because the church is his institution. The church is something that he's created. And no matter what experiences you've had about the church or what dirty preacher you've heard from or what dirty preacher took all the money, you've got to understand it's still his church. He loves it in spite of all the corruption. He still loves it. He still loves it. He still loves the church. And people, and it doesn't matter if you, if people don't give to the church and get mad at the church and leave the church. Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to let this church know that this church is going to go on. This church is going to live. This church is going to prosper because it's not built upon Josh Pennington. It's not built upon the staff. It's not built upon programs. This church is built upon Jesus, who is the rock of our eternal salvation. It's built upon Jesus and it will last. And when you invest your money into the church, you are investing into people. Do you know the church is the number one institution in the world that gives to the poor? The church is the number one institution in the world that feeds the homeless. The church is the number one institution in the world that gives to the orphans. The church is the number one institution in the world that feeds the sick. Ladies and gentlemen, there are, more, there are more hospitals and orphanages and institutions named after saints than there is in any other institution in the world because the church has made the greatest impact in the entire history of humanity. Do you know that it is recorded that the average church in America... 38% of Americans attend church. 44% of them attend twice a month. It's estimated when they did a poll of how many people give of tithe and offering to the church, it was only said 10% of that gave. 
And I thought about it. 10% of 44% of Christians are giving and look at everything we've done. Look at all the buildings we've built. Look at all the people we've fed. Look at all the missionaries we send around the world. With 10%? Can you imagine if 100% of the church would just be generous and 100% of the church would give? Do you know the impact we could make in the world? Do you know the impact we could really, really make? If we've made this impact with a small percentage of giving, do you know what could happen if we all would just be generous and obey the Lord? Oh, hallelujah. Giving is a way that you can open your life up to God for God to give back to you. People will say, well, I can't give, preacher. The Lord knows my heart. I can't afford it. Oh, they don't need my money. They have a lot of people. Oh, that preacher, he's getting rich. You you see that car that preacher drives, he's getting rich. I want to let you know that myself and the staff or anybody that gets paid to this church, we are not getting rich. Can I just break it down to you? Nobody in this church is getting rich. And all the staff said amen. And the financial committee can say amen. Nobody's getting rich. So whatever experience you have, it's it's interesting we can drive our new cars, wear our nice clothes, and put designer clothes on our children and yet not be generous when the offering is passed. The problem is, is you love money. And money has gripped your soul. Jesus said it would happen. Run after, you're running after things that's going to go, that's going to burn up, folks. Invest your money into something eternal. Jesus said in verse 10, not only do you have to be a steward of the money, not only can your money meet you in the next world because of the investment into people, but Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 10, I'm almost done. Luke 16, verse 10, Jesus said, "He who in the same parable, Luke 16, 10, Jesus said, he who is faithful in what is least. Hold on. Jesus made a profound statement here. The context, verse verse 10, he is calling money least. Did you get that? He refers to money to least. He's referring to the unrighteous mammon as least. And how many of us think it's the best? Oh, sure, we love money. Sure, we want money. We, We have to have it. But you got to be careful that it doesn't have you. He calls money least. And yet, our whole lives are running after it. Our whole lives crave it. Our whole lives will go to the extreme just to get another dollar. Yes, you should work. You should provide for your families. There should be a balance there, of course. But there's an extreme to it, folks. And we live in a a world, especially America, that we are driven to climb the ladder of success. We are driven to make the last dollar. We got to pay the last credit card off. We got to pay this and get this type of clothing and buy this car and do this and do that. And then when we come to the house of God, we're strapped. Jesus says it's least. Jesus said it's not that important. You're running after it. It's least. And yet, in our lives, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying if you put God first, somehow things start to line up in your life. If you put Him first, God knows you've got to have money to pay bills. He knows that. He knows you've got to have money to feed your children. He knows that. But if you put Him first, somehow it all is aligned properly. Jesus said in verse number 11, Jesus says in this parable, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unjust mammon or money, who will commit you to the, to the trust of true riches? My third point is this. If you're not faithful with the little money you have, you're not going to be blessed with spiritual things. 
If you don't know how to manage what you do have, why do you think that God would give you more? I hear people say all the time, boy, if I win the lottery, I'd pay the church off. No, you won't. Because you don't know how to manage the $20 that you have in your purse. Because money is neutral. Money reveals who you are. If you are a generous person and money comes into your hands, it's going to exemplify your generosity. If you are selfish and greedy, when you get money, it's just going to make you more greedier. Money is neutral. Money is neither good or bad. It just reveals who we truly are. If you're not faithful, Jesus said, with little, you're not going to be blessed with true riches. He goes on to verse 13. Jesus, I read this scripture last week, but here Jesus says it again. Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other. Either he will be loyal to the one, despise the other. But you cannot serve God and money. Jesus said, there is a God that is competing against me. There is a God that's competing against me. And it's money. Money desires to sit on the throne of your heart. Money desires to dictate and control your life. You've got to make a decision. Am I going to pursue after God or am I going to pursue after gold? You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. Either you're going to hate the one, be loyal to the one, and despise the other, or despise the one and be loyal to the other. You've got to make up your mind if you're going to serve God or you're going to serve money. I'm letting this church know today that if you put God first and you put Jesus first as number one in your life in every area of your life, you will find that he is a provider. You will find that he is a healer. You will find that he comes at the midnight hour. You will find that it's your darkest, bleakest moment that he always shows up and he demonstrates his goodness to his people. Hallelujah. I'm telling you today that we serve a God who is more than enough. We serve a God who provides. We serve a God who is willing to provide for his children. To those who are cold and hungry, he is the bread of life. To those who are destitute and forsaken, he is the shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes after the one. To the one that is lonely and friendless, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. To him that is defeated, he is the victory that overcomes the world. To those who are in the valley, he is the lily of the valley and the bright and morning star. To those who are feel pressed by the thorns of life, he is the rose of Sharon. I'm telling you today, he is your everything that you've ever needed. Don't serve Money and God. You can't serve them both. How do I know I'm serving God or money? It's whoever you're sacrificing to. If you sacrifice more for money than you do for Jesus, then you are serving money. Whoever you sacrifice for is your God. There are people who are living with their master. Their house is their God. They live with their master. They drive their master. They wear their master. Because they sacrifice for it. They'll work another job just to get the latest clothing, but the offering plate is passed by. They don't have it. Money is your God, and you have fallen to the snare of the devil. Money is your master. Whoever you sacrifice to is your God. If you sacrifice more for the sake of money, it's your God. But those who sacrifice for the sake of Jesus and invest into something eternal, he's your God. It's interesting to me that Jesus said this, and you know how the religious leaders acted? Verse 14, Luke 15, verse 14. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. Luke 15, or excuse me, Luke 16, verse 14. And after Jesus was done with the parable... And he said all this about money. This is the response of people. You ready? He says, the Pharisees, after he was done, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they scoffed at him. One translation says they put their nose up at him. Jesus just got done talking to him. He says, listen, you can't serve gold and God. Jesus said to the religious leaders, listen, You can take your money and invest it into eternity. Jesus is saying, listen, 
You're, not, you're just a manager. You don't own anything. And the, what did the religious leaders do? They get mad and they put their nose up in the air. You know why? Because they were lovers of money. And that's what people do. If you love money, you get mad at the preacher. He's talking about money. Don't be a religious leader. They loved their money dearly. And they turned their nose up to him. Turn their nose up to him because Jesus was preaching the truth. Oh, folks, let me tell you something. Anytime I study the sermon, anytime I go over my notes, I'm preaching to me. <laughs> Listen, I am the number one congregation member. Me. I want to handle my money more effectively. I want to do what's right. I want to please God. I want to be more generous than I've ever been in my whole life. That's the only thing to live for. We get so busy working in life that we haven't taken time to work on our life. Bible says in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen to what Paul says here. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7. He says, For you brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that you will carry nothing with you. Did you hear what this preacher said? It's certain that you didn't bring anything in this world. And when you leave, you ain't going to take nothing with you. You're not going to take anything with you. Who do you think it belonged to before you got here? And who do you think it's going to go back to after you're gone? So it don't belong to you. Some, uh, there was a guy who said to his wife, Honey, when I die, I want you to take all my cash out of my bank account, put it in a little sack, wrap it up, put all my money in a sack, and hang it from the rafters. So when I go, I can catch it on my way to heaven. Well, that poor man died and they buried him. She went up to the, she went up to the attic and found, she said, shoot, it's still here. I should have tied it to the basement. Because <laughs> you can be certain you didn't bring anything in this world and you're not going to take nothing out of this world. What did Paul say? Listen, listen to this. I'm almost done. Verse 9, but those, get this, but those who desire to be rich fall in the temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Listen to what the apostle said. Because of people running after money and the love for it, they've pierced their own soul and they've strayed from the faith and they've been given to greediness. And they pierce themselves with many sorrows. You say, why does God want my money if, he are, if it already belongs to Him? He wants to know if He is still number one in your life. He wants to know, does, are you going to worship God or are you going to worship gold? Are you going to worship the budget or are you going to follow the Bible? Are you going to follow after the stocks or are you going to go after the Savior? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And so when we give, we are acknowledging money don't have a control on me. Money is not my God. It doesn't dictate my life. He is my Savior. He is my God. He is my ruler. He's the master. That's, that's what it means. Hallelujah. Somebody praise God today. Hallelujah. That's what it means. What would happen if, what would happen if the church broke out in generosity? 
What would happen if we gave as much as we said we prayed? What would happen if we gave as much as we worshiped? What would happen if we gave as much as we attend church? If you love money, it will cause you to steal from God. It's not because you can't afford it. You love money. Because in America, 98% of the population in America is richer than everybody else in the world. The poorest person in this building, you're richer than most of the 98% of the population of the world. It's not that we can't afford it. It's because we love money. You haven't stewardship. You haven't correctly managed it correctly. It's gotten out of control. You've got to bring things back into alignment. Get a hold of it. Get a budget. Know how much you owe to who you owe it to. Don't just have a guessing game. Get it on a budget. Put God first. Number one, align your bills out so you know exactly. Get yourself on a weekly budget and start to make a sacrifice to God. Start to give proportionally and start giving systematically to God. Invest in eternity. The real measure of our wealth is not how much we would not how much we have, but how much we would be worth if it's all taken from us. Exodus 35, it's interesting to me that Moses comes and says, listen, we need to build, we need to build this tabernacle. We need to, we, Moses is the pastor. He's like, well, we need to, I need you all help me. Okay, Moses is like, please help me. And he gets up and tells all these people, I need your help because I need the furniture, the furniture for the tabernacle. And the Bible says in Exodus 35, I love this scripture. I promise you, I'm, I am closing. <laughs> Exodus 35, Exodus 35 and verse number 20, the Bible says in all the congregation, listen to this. Moses said, I need your help. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of the Lord. Verse 21 then everyone came to whose heart was stirred and every whose spirit was willing and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of the meeting for all of its services and its holy garments. So Moses got up and says, listen, I need your help. And everybody got stirred up. And they're like, we're going to bring a free will offering to the Lord. And in the Bible says in verse 25 of the same chapter, all the women who were gifted all the women who were gifted started spinning yarn and started making stuff for the tabernacle. I mean, people started breaking out in generosity. And you know what happened? After it broke out in generosity, the Bible says in Exodus 36, verse 3, this was the result of generosity. Exodus 36, verse 3. I want you to see this. Exodus 36, 3. And then... They received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service, the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Verse 4. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. Verse 5, And they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment that caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary, and the people were restrained from bringing, for the material that was, was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. Folks, we don't need somebody to write us a big check. If we all just be generous and be obedient to God and give, it is no wonder what this church can do in the city of Galena. And not only the city of Galena, it is no wonder what we could do around the world if people would just be generous. <laughs> Hallelujah. Moses said, please tell them, quit bringing the offering. It's too much. Please. I hope to God one day as a pastor, I'd have to get up here and say, please stop bringing the money. Please stop bringing the resources. We don't know what Mana doesn't know what to do with all of it. But are you going to serve God or gold? I pray to God that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and you become the most generous person you've ever been in your whole life. 
Can you be generous in other things? Yes. But Jesus used money. He says money is a stumbling block. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be. You say, preacher, I don't agree with all this and you just want my money. Folks, be very careful that you don't think that or even say it because you don't know my life. I have practiced this all my life. All of it. Years ago, a woman was praying and sent me a check and paid for my schooling at the Assemblies of God that I just graduated from. Now, I have school debt from previous years, but I was determined I wasn't going to borrow any more money. And I started trusting God and believing God and putting God always number one. And I'm telling you, somebody wrote it, called me up and said they got, some, they got extra money in the mail. They, I tell you, I, when I walked across the stage, I didn't owe nobody anything. I was paid off. It was paid off. You've got to make a decision. What are you going to do? The Lord may not be asking you to give that much, but the principle is this. Increase your faith. Increase it. Let's increase it. Let's challenge you to give. November the 4th, I've asked the whole church, on well, November the 4th, let's be like the children of Israel. Let's give that day. Let's be generous. On November the 4th, I'm asking you, I've asked you to pray about it. I've asked you to pray with your spouse. I've asked you to pray with your family. I'm not asking any amount. I'm asking you to pray about it. Ask what the Holy Spirit wants you to give. And it is a thanksgiving offering. Just we're coming to give. I'm asking you to do it to challenge your faith. Maybe you've just been given, given the same amount for years. Well, this is an opportunity to stretch your faith. I don't want to overwhelm you, but I want to stretch you. Stretch your faith. Ask the Holy Spirit what He wants you to do. No strings attached. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to be a millionaire when you do it. I'm just asking you just to be generous on November the 4th and pray about it.